Today's podcast is brought to you by Ryan, a leading global tax service and software provider that helps companies manage and minimize property taxes from acquisition to disposition and all points in between. As the firm with the most local market property tax professionals across the country, Ryan has experience in nearly every jurisdiction, unmatched by any other national, regional, or local provider. Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at NREIOnline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, good afternoon. How are you, sir? I am hanging in there. How are you? Doing fantastic. I know that uh, you and I have great conversations during these podcasts, but not today. You've got a special guest on. You want to introduce the guest? That's right. Uh, this week we have with us Beth Burnham Mace, who is the Chief Economist and Director of Capital Markets Outreach at the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care. So hi, Beth. Hello, and thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. We work together a lot because you um, do regular column for us. We do annual research together. We do webinars. So it's really, but this is a, it's great. So it's great to have you on the podcast for another, another chance to kind of talk about the industry. That's great. Thank you. So just to start off, I like, you know, I just went, I gave your title and talked about some of the our, you know, the, the stuff that we've done together, but just for any of the audience that may not be aware, could you just give us a quick, you know, background on the organization and, and, and your role? Sure. So I work for an organization called the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care, commonly known as NIC. We are a not-for-profit organization. We've been around for 30 years. Our mission is to bring capital together, bring capital into the industry to start to generate um, housing and care options for seniors. And we've been pretty successful because there's been a lot of capital in the industry right now. So we provide a lot of data to give us context of how the market is doing. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, provide information about the transactions markets and the, just the flow of capital in and out of the sector. You know, this is an extraordinary year for in general, but also, you know, for specific for the sector. So can you just talk a bit about what is happening with the market fundamentals on it for, and when we're talking about seniors, seniors housing, that includes skills, skilled nursing, independent living, assisted living, that's primarily what we're looking at, right? That's correct. So let me, um, let me just start by just giving a little bit of background because we're recording this on uh, December 3rd and the numbers right. are quite staggering in terms of the COVID crisis. Yes. Um, as of today, there's 65 million global cases, 14 million U.S. cases, one and a half million deaths in the U.S. alone, 275,000 deaths. The cases per day are rising to 180,000. It's, it's these numbers are just like awful. I yeah. It's, uh, it's, we had 100,000 hospitalizations yesterday. So right. um, so that's the background that I think we need to keep in context when we talk about the senior housing and care industry. And then on top of that, of course, we're in a very deep recession. I'm an economist, so I track that pretty carefully. And, you know, there's still more than 20 million people that are collecting unemployment insurance claims. Um, so it's, it's a tough background. So against that backdrop, uh, the, the market fundamentals in terms of occupancy, which is a standard metric that we use when you look about the <clears throat> conditions of the sector, for nursing care or skilled nursing, the occupancy rate in the third quarter was 76%. And that's 11 percentage points below where it was in March. Wow. Assisted living, the decline is 6.1 percentage points. 
to 79.1%. In an independent living, we've seen a 4.9 percentage point decline to 84.9%. So important in this discussion, David, is to distinguish between nursing care and seniors housing. Right. So nursing care, you know, houses the most and takes care of the most frail seniors typically. So those are people that are in a, a setting that provides them 24 hour nursing care because they're, they're sick at the get go. Right. And um, COVID has been really difficult in that environment. And that's why you see that huge drop in nursing care. It's been less so in assisted living and independent living, largely because those people aren't as frail and aren't as ill so that they've been better able to take care of themselves and be able to protect themselves just in terms of their own bodies and their immunization systems against COVID. All right. So that's, um, so that's where we stand at fundamentals. It is, it is, like you said, it's just stark to hear, you know, just, uh, I think it's, it's also been something around what 40% of the fatalities in the United States have been at seniors facilities. Is that, is that correct? Well, that's the number that that we hear, but Nick is actually in the process of doing a significant study to look at the incidence of, of COVID by care setting to distinguish it between, again, skilled nursing and seniors housing. And then how do people with the same comorbidities and the same health characteristics, how do they make out if they've stayed home? Mm -hmm. So we'll have that results of that sometime in uh, 2021. So I can't really answer you entirely just yet, but let's check back next year and I can give you a better answer. (laughs) As we know about this terrible disease that it's, it's so it's, it's, been really hard on you know people of certain ages and if you have comorbid- comorbidities and that's just the harrowing terrible reality of it yeah it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a bad pandemic i guess there's no good pandemic but this right. is really rough on on the generation and the age of the people that we actually support so i guess you know within within that context you know how do we like the other piece of this is um, like you said, you talked about, we, you know, there's been there's broader economic implications. There's then implications for capital markets and investment. So how, how has that, how is that piece then looking at this point? Yeah. Um, let me just make one more comment on the fundamentals and then I'll go to that. I, I okay. think it's important though, to distinguish that seniors housing, it's, you know, it's all about real estate and real estate is always about local, local, local and where you live, you know, it's the residential piece the geographic location is, is pretty important. And we still see a lot of distinctions in performance across the country from some markets who have occupancy rates as low as 75%, and that would be a market like Houston. Mm-hmm. And then one um, like San Jose, which is more than 90% range. So there's a lot of variation. And then with the even, within even the properties themselves, there's a lot of variation. There's still over 15% of properties have occupancy rates above 95% in the third quarter. And so there are still some really strong properties and some stronger markets. So it's not, I mean, every, everybody has been hurt by COVID for sure, but some have been better able and more resilient than others in terms of both properties and in geographic locations. In terms yeah. of capital market conditions, it's been really interesting to, um, to observe and to be part of it at the same time of watching what's happened with COVID since March. There has been a, a real significant alignment between capital providers and their operating partners. And um, you've seen this, um, we're all in this together type attitude. You've seen, you've seen capital providers um, 
you know, go the distance to help secure PPE or help secure testing equipment. And uh, it's been, you know, heartening to see that because, you know, what this industry is different than other types of real estate right. because there's such a, there's a heart to it. And we're talking about people, right? people's lives. So I think it's important that it's not just entirely driven by the bottom line, at least up to this point, it hasn't been. In terms of debt, debt has definitely uh, shifted since pre-COVID. And I think that it's fair to say that there's uh, lenders have taken um, definitely a proactive approach to servicing their existing clients. Some are working with developers or operators to adjust maybe lease up performers. Um, understanding, of course, that the current conditions might result in withdrawn deposits or rent discounts to support move-ins. But um, placing debt remains a challenge. And lenders are often asking for more equity from developers. And um, now, nine months into the pandemic, I think we're seeing both debt and equity providers return to the markets cautiously, um, underwriting deals largely with pre-existing uh, relationships or sponsors that have proven track records. So if you're new to the industry, if you're, if you're first new on the block, it's going to be more difficult for you to secure financing right now. And then construction financing is even more challenging to get right now um, because, uh, you know, the, just to be able to underwrite a new deal right now with the uncertain environment and uncertain climate is difficult, I think, for uh, both the developer and for the underwriting of that by the debt provider. How, you know, I mean, one of the things, you know, looking at pre-COVID seniors housing um, was doing really well and was particularly attractive because it was supported by like just general demographic trends and an aging population and this um, anticipated increased demand for, you know, these kind of facilities. Um, So, you know, I feel like, you know, like, one of the silver linings at this point, or I don't know if that's the right word, but one of the, we are looking at at a light of the end of the tunnel um, on the pandemic itself. And then, so what does that mean in terms of getting back to that, you know, the long-term, you know, uh, demographics being in support of the sector. And also, I guess related to that is what, what are some of the behaviors that we're seeing on move-ins at this point? Like, are, are people able to move into properties? Is that kind of on hold? Uh, the demand that would be created for seniors housing, how is that kind of gonna, how, what is that looking like these days? And then what does that look like when we get out of the pandemic? Right, so um, no doubt about it that, you know, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw headlines almost every day in the newspapers around the country about what was happening in uh, skilled nursing properties and facilities. And that scared um, people. And it's been a challenge to be able to address the safety and the sanitation protocols that have to be put in place to combat the pandemic right now. Um, Operators though, I think have really responded well, uh, generally. And some of their responses included, for example, frequent communications to residents or to staff or to the family members to let them know what was going on. So transparency has been really key. And I think that's helping to generate more confidence. One of the value propositions of seniors housing really is the socialization aspect, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have someone who's sitting at home watching TV and not interacting with people. 
when you move into a senior housing property, you have that socialization, you interact with your you know, fellow residents, you, you go to dinner, you have a healthy environment, you have access to physical activity, and all those things are part of the <clears throat> value proposition for seniors housing. And of course, that's been challenged right now right. in a situation where we have to do physical distancing. Right. But there's been, you know, I'm sure you and your audience have seen, you know, images of what people are doing there. They've set up outdoor socialization aspects of um, hospitality to allow people to interact with each other. You see those plexiglass separators between people. And now I think because we understand better how important that socialization aspect is, a lot of properties are allowing like one family member, one designated family member to come in on a scheduled appointment and making sure that that person has had a COVID test or is healthy and getting their temperatures taken and things like that to allow that. And all of that is helping to support and renew confidence, I think, in the sector and to also support the, the total value proposition for what you have when you, when you move in. Now, we know the vaccine, <clears throat> luckily, unfortunately, excuse me, has been you know, we think it, we think it's coming and <laughs> coming soon, thankfully, but it will be a while before that's implemented. So I think as that happens, you will gain again, more confidence in the, in the property type and the, in the value proposition again, and you'll see more people come in. So as I mentioned at the beginning, we've seen some pretty dramatic drops in occupancies. Right. I would think we'll start to see reversal of that by the middle of next year, but it's going to take time to get back to those pre pandemic levels um, of occupancy as as all of us, not just those in senior housing, but as all of us start to socialize again and get comfortable in going out and moving around again. And in, in terms of the you know administering the vaccine itself, I mean, it's not from what the CDC recommendations were saying the other day. These facilities are going to be at the top of the people that work and and the residents are going to be supposed to should be at the top of the list for for distribution once that starts is what does that actually mean for does that mean the facilities themselves will become part of the the distribution network um my understanding and i think this is still evolving and unfolding but my understanding is that uh, cvs and walgreens have the um i don't know if it's a license per se but they, that they've been queued up to be the administrators and they provide the vaccines into seniors housing and skilled nursing properties I think we don't really know that for, you know, we don't know that until we have a little bit more time here, but we will probably understand in the next few weeks of actually how it's going to be administered. I think a challenge might be, and I don't know how this will play out, is the vaccine, of course, needs to be given to the residents, but also to staff. Right. And we know that there's anxiety among certain people in the country about getting a vaccine. So I don't know how that will play out. I mean, obviously, uh. you're going to have to have your staff vaccinated. Well, I don't know, maybe not obviously, but I think you'd have to have your staff vaccinated, one would hope. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out because, you know, unfortunately, of course, all this has become quite political and unfortunately so. And um, so I I still think we have coming up for the next few months, some challenges of the spread. We've been hearing a lot of people talk about sort of the dark winter. And I do think it will be a dark winter. I'm I'm nervous right now about the economy slipping back as people have stayed home orders again or are on some type of lockdown again and that's going to impact the economy and so i don't think we're quite out of this yet but i do think we're in better position today than we were you know let's say the beginning of the pandemic we certainly understand the protocols to put in place and we have that some vaccines have been developed so i think that will come out and i think ultimately you know the the bottom line i guess is that the the you know investment thesis for seniors housing remains 
I think that includes a basic need for congregate living settings mm -hmm. associated with an aging population, um, especially middle-income seniors. That's an opportunity, I think, for a lot of investors and developers and operators to really try to figure out how to serve middle-income seniors. Yeah, wasn't that a bit? Sorry, isn't that wasn't that like a point of research or something that that you that Nick had been looking at? I think prior to the pandemic was just this yeah. opportunity for middle income. Yeah, exactly. Abilities. Yeah, we did a big study last year. It was a it took us a couple of years to get the results done. Uh, we worked with a group called the NORC, NORC at the University of Chicago, and we identified um, and quantified middle income seniors, who they were, and what their huge needs are going forward in terms of being able to produce some type of affordable senior housing product. And since then, I'm happy to say that there's a lot of operators have been a lot of discussions about how to really approach uh, create the creation of middle-income senior housing. So I'm hopeful that we're further ahead this year, at least than we were. Of course, COVID has set us back, but uh, there's been a lot of discussion so that there is, I think, a, a huge opportunity from an investor point of view to really figure out how to support middle-income seniors. So there's one there's one other aspect that I think is really going to support seniors housing in terms of sort of from an investment thesis. And I think that relates to the fact that there's a recognition today that seniors housing is really part of the healthcare continuum. Right. And that wasn't necessarily the case in the past. And as we go forward in time and as a baby boomers age, we're going to have to really figure out how to um, provide healthcare to this burgeoning cohort of baby boomers, because otherwise the, the, the system, the Medicare system and things just won't, it won't work. And I think seniors housing is now really sort of proven itself to be a part of the healthcare continuum. And as that happens, I think there's gonna be more cost-effective ways to deliver the healthcare services that seniors require. Are there any other like long-term sort of operate, like, like long-term operational, lessons that will that will endure after after COVID for the sector? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, just to mention a couple of, I, I think there's been an acceleration of a lot of technology. So mm. touchless technology, mm -hmm. telehealth, you know, telehealth has been something not just for seniors, but in general that, you know, we've been talking about for, I don't know, 10 years, maybe 15 years. And now it's here. <laughs> There's no going back now. I mean, I personally have had some telehealth calls with some doctors. So yeah, I had my first this week as well. Yeah. Just happy to have that. So there you go. I think architecture and engineering, we're going to change. I think you'll see different uh, HVAC systems put in place. I think the creation of isolation wings. I think increasingly what um, in the industry we call the sort of neighborhoods of pods mm -hmm. among staff or residents. So that instead of, you know, necessarily being exposed to the entire population within a senior housing property, you're more of a neighborhood. And, and that can be put in place pretty quickly. So I think that you'll see um, as, as new development happens, I think you're gonna see different uses of common area space and different uses in terms of how individual rooms are set up and designed as well. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think this has definitely sort of accelerated some trends and then create a new need as well, and the stock of senior housing is, is pretty old. Um, two thirds of it is more, you know, was built, well, it's more than 23 years old, 25 years old. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And so is that case, does it need to, can it be renovated or, or do you need to kind of just start over? Well, I think that the need is huge. So I think there will be a lot of renovation and I think you'll see even retrofitting of other types of space. Oh, okay. Um, you might there, see, there, you might see sorry. malls, some, yeah, some malls. retrofitting of a mall 
and that's a big space, right? But you might yeah. be able to throw in some type of, of senior housing setting in there, or I've seen retrofitting of hotels, um, some apartment retrofitting. So I think that you'll see some of that because the, the number of people that we're talking about is quite large <laughs> as the baby boomers, you know, move into the senior housing and senior housing, the typical resident is in their eighties. So we still right. have a number of years before the baby boomer really is there because the baby boomers were born between 1946 and 1964. So they're not quite there. They're in their seventies now, so depending on, you know, wh where you were born 46 to 64, but they're, you know, the first baby boomer is now in their seventies. So right. as that person ages, once that, once we get to that point, it's going to be an onslaught of baby boomers that are aging really rapidly that will need some type of um, care, and care and housing um, options. And then on the, the, the uh, equity side of the equation, are there particular kinds of like investors that you see that are becoming more drawn to invest in this property type? I mean, you know, there's... I'm not just talking about like company, you know, obviously we have very skilled companies and REITs that, that are in the space, but some of the money behind that, besides people that are, that may be investing in REIT shares, are there other kinds of investors that you're seeing that like, you know, looking yeah. to put a little bit of capital towards the sector in various ways and funds or other, other formats? Yeah. So I've been involved in the senior housing industry for, I don't know, 20 years or maybe more. <laughs> and uh, institutional investors are much more interested in the sector today than they'll say 20 years ago. Okay. That would include some of your large pension funds, public pension funds in particular, that um, find senior housing intriguing. Um, it's definitely on a different cycle than in terms of economic business cycles than some of the other property types. Um, it definitely offers some portfolio diversification. Uh, some consider senior housing, you know, moving into the core realm of real estate options. You mm -hmm. know, you have optimistic core, core plus in value. Uh, some are moving it into core funds. So, you know, it has a steady income stream. We have data from NACREF that shows that, you know, it has a very steady income stream, um, like the overall property index of, of NACREF. And on a long-term basis, the returns, the total investment returns have been significantly higher for senior housing than the other property types, um, with the exception more recently of industrial. And um, also with the exception that was, you know, since COVID, we have seen a, a shift in investment returns, which is not surprising. But in general, though, you know, the long-term fundamentals of the sector and the demographics have been really appealing to uh, large institutional investment groups. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah, and I think like you know the research that that we've done, the annual, I, I forget how many years we've done it now, but like we've generally six. seen <laughs> six, or seven, six, yeah. six, yeah, that like seniors, you know, when we rate it against the other property types, it's always scored very highly, you know, near the top or at the top. And I think we've always gotten pretty good in, you know, interest in, in, in our, in, in the readership of that report. And I think when we did the, the webinar um, a couple months ago, we have, we were talking about how it was kind of valuable that we've done this research and, and have some of these year over year comparisons. And we're really able to gauge, you know, some of this impact this year in a, in a, in a good way. Yeah. I, I have to say on behalf of NIC, uh, thank you very much for teaming up with that because this is like an investor sentiment survey that we have done. I think it's six years. And we've been able to see the changes over time. And time series data is really, you know, interesting to see, you know, what is, what's influencing the perception of senior housing. Is it the economy? Is it the housing market? Right, is it right. the stock market? Um, obviously, right now it's a pandemic. <laughs> but you've been able to see how things have shifted. And the general uh, 
positive attitude towards the sector, despite where we are in terms of the economic cycle. Well, by the time we do next year's survey, we'll hopefully be, you know, very deep into the vaccine distribution and and be getting some uh, and be reading some very positive, very bullish sentiment on on the on the sector. Yes, yeah, so let's let's hope we get through this uh, pandemic in a in a, as quick a fashion as possible. That's for yeah. sure, because it's been a it's been a, certainly a challenging and difficult time for all of us, and especially those who are older and those who are taking care of our elderly. And yeah. you know, I, I would like to do one shout out to you know the operators and the frontline staff and all the staff of seniors housing because they are, have been you hear it so much now that you know, sort of the heroes <laughs> but right. in fact they really have been all the healthcare workers deserve incredible amount of gratitude from the rest of us for doing amazing work and taking care of people that really need help i think you know we've uh, i think those are the questions i had so i just wanted to you know thank you for for coming on the podcast and and you know giving us an update on what's been happening and um you know look forward to our, our continued you know work together Sounds great. Thank you again for having me. And thank you for everyone for listening. All right, Beth and David, this was fantastic. A ton of great information. I I echo the sentiment as David did, Beth, that our frontline workers are, I think, underappreciated in a lot of ways because it's been so long right now that I think people just kind of forget that they're still working hard. And in, in fact, they're having to ramp up again and work even harder. So. Yeah, we, we actually, I've been using the phrase and um, I didn't use it here, but about, you know, we shifted from a, a sprint to a marathon, okay. yeah. but it's been a marathon that doesn't have a finish line. And if you're a worker, the amount of fatigue, mental and, and psychological and physical fatigue is, is significant. Yeah. Yeah. We got those people a lot for sure. I agree. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, David. Again, thank you for bringing Beth on. She was a fantastic guest. I hope we do get to hear from Beth again next year, maybe later next year. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Thanks for the opportunity. You bet. And of course, the last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only. Today's podcast was brought to you by Ryan, liberating our clients from the burden of being overtaxed, freeing their capital to invest, grow, and thrive.